Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Imputed guilt. This is part of what original sin means. As you sit here tonight, in the eyes of God, you and I are guilty for the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, God placed real, personal guilt for that sin in your account and in my account. Now remember, we're not talking here about the feeling of guilt. We're talking about our relationship to God's law. From the moment of conception, we stand before God as guilty of having violated His law and deserving of punishment. Even before we commit our first sin because of Adam's sin. Now, with that, let's turn to Romans chapter 5 and let's look at it together. I've given you a lot of background, but I, I hope you that helps clarify the whole issue we're discussing. Now let me show you the ramifications of it in Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Now, don't miss the flow of Paul's thought in the book of Romans. Romans is one of my favorite books. I seriously considered doing it instead of James even now. But I thought um, we would wait on that because it'll take me a lot longer to get through Romans than it will James. So we're going to wait and sort of postpone our study of that. But I'm eager to do it because this book is absolutely foundational to an understanding of the Christian faith. In fact, let me say this. If you don't understand Romans, you don't understand your faith, and you are not poised to grow as someone who does grasp and understand the book of Romans. It's crucial, foundational. But let me just remind you of the flow of Paul's thought. He begins in chapter 1, indicting all of mankind, verse 1, or excuse me, verse 18 of chapter 1, through chapter 3, and verse 20 is an indictment first of the religious of the Jew and then of all mankind. He turns from the indictment of man and his need for salvation in chapter 3, verse 21, to salvation. And he uses the term justification. Justification. Now, he develops that. You'll notice in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 down through the end of chapter 3, he talks about what justification is. Then in chapter 4, he sets forth a biblical defense for it. He, he cites two great biblical characters, Abraham in verses 1 through 5, and David in verses 5 through 8. And then he argues some more about the place of faith through the rest of chapter 4. But he's setting up that we are declared righteous before God on the basis of faith and faith alone. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, have to do with the results of justification. He says, because you have been justified, notice chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, here are the things that are true. And he lists a number of things that are true because of that justification. Now that brings us up to verse 12. 
Let's read verse 11 just to set the context for where he's going. He says, We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now what he's going to do is he's going to establish how that justification happened and how our relation to Christ is very similar to our relationship to Adam. Let's follow his reasoning here. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Literally what he says in verse 12 is in this way, that is, through Adam's sin, death spread to all men. In this way, death spread to all men. That is, through Adam's sin. Somehow, he then says, because all sinned. Somehow, through the sin of Adam, all sinned. Now think about that for a moment. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, not all men had actually committed sinful acts. Take us, for example. We hadn't been born yet. Others had died as infants without committing any conscious acts of sin. So Paul cannot mean that all humanity had in fact committed conscious acts of sin. So Paul must mean that when Adam sinned, God counted it true that all men sinned in him. And verse 13 and 14 make this clear. Notice his line of argument. Verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Now what's he saying here? Get, get the picture of this verse. He's saying, from Adam to Moses... There was no written law. From whenever creation was, and we don't know exactly when it was, but somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 B.C. probably, until Moses, 1445 B.C., so for thousands of years, from Adam to Moses, there was no written law. Even though the sins of those who lived in that period were not counted against them, he says, because there wasn't a law. They still died. Paul says that is proof that God counted people guilty on the basis of Adam's sin. The fact that they still died when there was no law saying thou shalt not means that God was holding them guilty for the sin of Adam. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, the verse... Paul, uh, yeah, Paul goes into a sort of parenthesis here. I'm not going to take time to go through every verse, but the key verse is verse 19. Here's where he wraps up his conclusion. Here's where he makes the big point. For as through the one man's disobedience, that is, through Adam's disobedience, the many, now he doesn't mean here that not all of mankind, he's already established he's talking about all of mankind, He's using parallelism, and so 
He's saying basically through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now the tense of this verb is very interesting. Were made sinners. Through Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. What he's saying is this. We could translate it this way. Through Adam's disobedience, many were constituted as sinners. Then he says, even so, through the obedience of the one, that is Christ, of course, the many will be constituted righteous. In the same way that we were constituted sinners in Adam, we were constituted righteous in Christ. Now you tell me, how were we constituted righteous in Christ? Was it because we actually committed righteous deeds? It's because it was imputed to us. So Paul is arguing that Adam's sin was imputed to all of us. And in the same way, Christ's righteousness is imputed to those who believe. Now, what this stresses is that imputation, that's a word you need to know. Imputation is a critical tool of God. What is imputation? To impute simply means to put in one's account. To reckon to one's account. To treat you as if it were true. This is a critical tool of God. And what you need to understand is that God has used this tool in three different ways. First of all, as we just learned here in Romans chapter 5, God imputed Adam's sin to us. Whether Whatever view you like, whether we were seminally present in Adam or whether he was our representative, doesn't matter which view you take, the bottom line is God said, you're guilty for Adam's sin. He imputed Adam's sin to our account. Wayne Grudem in his, comment, in his uh, systematic theology writes this, God counted Adam's sin as belonging to us. Now, before you're tempted to respond negatively to that, that's unfair, listen to what Grudem writes. And since God is the ultimate judge of all things in the universe, and since His thoughts are always true, Adam's guilt does in fact belong to us. God rightly imputed Adam's guilt to us, and I could add, whether we understand it or not. This is what the Scriptures teach. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.